So last Sunday, I was in North Carolina visiting my in-laws. Thank you for, I just love the fact that we've got such great leadership. I can just up and go away and church goes great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for Dan. In fact, uh, Dan hit me up this week to reciprocate. So I'm going uh, to preach at his church afterwards. Uh, so we go back and forth. But I, um, I'm sure you enjoyed Dan here last week. So I was in North Carolina um, in large part because my father-in-law, Spurge, is undergoing chemo and radiation treatment for lung cancer. He's got stage 3B lung cancer. And the doctors tell him that uh, if he does nothing, he's got six, three to six months left to live. But with treatment, they are hoping to prolong that. And actually, there's a 15 to 20% chance that uh, the cancer might actually be fully eliminated through the treatment. And so um, we are praying for Spurge, because we like him, and so we want some more years. And we probably would pray otherwise, but, you know, we're praying with sincerity, because uh, we like this guy, and we want, him, we want him around. We want many more years of Spurge. And so we're saying, God, would you please heal him? And uh, heal him either through the, uh, through the medical treatments, or if you want to heal him apart from that, Please do it because we want many more years of healthy Spurge in our life. He's a great guy, great godly man. So the question I pose to you is this. When you hear me say that we're praying for Spurge, what goes through your mind? Do you think to yourself, hey, his chances of being healed have gone up because people uh, are praying for him in faith? Or do you think to yourself, you know, those prayers are, uh, they're good, they're cathartic, but essentially they're ways to express how much we love somebody, right? I, I, I'm praying for you. And so what they hear in that is, okay, I, they love me, they don't want me to die, and, uh, right? And so for many people, prayer, is, it's a cathartic thing. But it's not going to actually change the outcome of the situation. I mean, it's not like he's going to actually live longer or his chances of being healed go up because you're praying for him. So that's the question. How do you, when you hear that we're praying for my father-in-law, um, how do you take that? Because in our, in our text today, we're talking about uh, miraculous healing. We're in a series called AD about the uh, first 10 chapters of the book of Acts. We're uh, taking advantage of this NBC uh, mini-series called AD, and the assumption is that uh, there will be an increased interest in our community about the early church. In fact, let me encourage you to talk to uh, co-workers and friends. Just say, hey, have you been watching that mini-series AD? Um, and if they have, then you could say something like, hey, did you know our church is actually doing a series on the very same stories, and we're going a little bit deeper and looking at their significance. And maybe you can bait somebody uh, to come to church and uh, give them, put them in an environment where the Lord, you know, can work in, in their life. So take advantage of that. In fact, we've got great promotional material on the back table that you can uh, hand out. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 3. This is our Bible story today. And in our Bible story, the apostles Peter and... Um, and John heal a man who's been crippled since birth, a miraculous healing. I read, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So they're in Jerusalem. And a man lame from birth was being carried, 
whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So here you've got a, a lame beggar, a guy who's been lame, an adult male who's been lame since uh, birth. And he's obviously begging because he can't, you know, he can't work. And Peter, uh, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You cannot read this story without being grappling with the question of miracles. Now, some people will read a story like this and they come to it with a presupposition, a, a worldview that says, this could not have happened. Because in their worldview, uh, the highest law are the laws of nature. They're immutable. They're unbreakable. They're unchangeable. And, and this kind of stuff breaks the laws of nature. It simply can't happen. The world doesn't run this way. People who have been crippled from birth and never walked cannot start walking and jumping around. Their muscles, muscles uh, don't you know, develop instantly. And so they look at this, they would read a text like this and say, this could not have happened the way it is reported. Because this kind of stuff just doesn't happen. And if that's you, I, wanna, I want to challenge you this morning because, or at least ask you to be honest. Because the fact of the matter is your unwillingness to entertain the possibility of miracles is, uh, requires more faith than those of us who look at it and say, hey, that might have happened. In fact, it requires faith in the face of contrary evidence. Now, myself and many of us, we come to the text, and our, our worldview, our presupposition is, hey, there is a creator who took the time to create intelligent beings, beings who are relational. And you know what? The one who created the world, if it serves his purposes to kind of supersede the laws of nature in some instance, well, that God could do that. And that doesn't seem outside of the realm of possibility, but I'm not going to believe in a miracle unless there's evidence. So what evidence is there? Well, just uh, here's the evidence for this miracle. Look over in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 14. Peter and John have been, uh, are, have been drugged before the, re the religious leaders who uh, do not want uh, a miracle in the name of Jesus because they just crucified this guy. And they don't want his, uh, they thought they had put this, uh, what they considered false prophet to death and it's over. And now all of a sudden you've got this miracle in his name. But listen what what we read. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. So who's seeing? It's the religious leaders. And the, there's the... Uh, 
the man who's been healed, and Peter and John. They had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So they're, they're saying, look, the evidence uh, uh, that a miracle has happened is so great, as much as we want to deny it, we can't deny it because people have seen this crippled guy for years at the beautiful gate. Everybody knows who he is, and now he's up and walking. And we can't deny that, that a miracle has occurred. And so if you don't, if you come to the text, I just, I just ask you to not come to miraculous texts in the Bible and just say it couldn't have happened. Look at the evidence. And what kind of evidence would you expect other than eyewitnesses who say, hey, in this particular instance, the world didn't run the way it normally runs. Something unique took place, and, and it demands an answer. What is the purpose of miracles in the New Testament? Why, why did God uh, perform quite a few miracles in the New Testament? Well, the, uh, there are three reasons. The first reason for a miraculous healing, to be more specific, uh, might be more of a byproduct, but let's call it a reason, and, and it's simply to relieve suffering. Uh, we are not told in this particular text that Peter and John felt compassion for the crippled man, but we are told Jesus, uh, when Jesus healed, that sometimes he took pity on the person who was suffering and healed them out of his out of his compassion. And so healing, of course, relieves suffering. This guy uh, who's been healed, he is jumping in the temple praising God because he knows life just got a whole lot easier for me. All of a sudden, I can go, I can go work and I can do stuff that I've never been able to do and it relieved suffering. Um, second reason for miraculous healings in the New Testament is to reveal Jesus as the risen Lord. When somebody is healed in the name of Jesus Christ, well, it testifies very powerfully that Jesus is alive and at work in our world. And that's the point that the Apostle Peter makes in uh, chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, people are, are wanting an explanation. How has this happened? How's this guy who's been crippled from birth now standing around walking? And Peter says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. And so a primary purpose of, of healing in the name of Christ, uh, and I would say that, that today as well, is, is to uh, reveal Jesus as the risen Lord. He is alive, he is powerful, he cares about us, he's at work in our world. A final reason for, uh, final purpose for miraculous healing is, uh, is to authorize the message of the apostles. Look at uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 3. So they, talking about uh, Paul and Barnabas, so they remained for a long time, and they're in the city of Iconium, speaking boldly for the Lord who, catch this, bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 
And then in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It, the message of salvation, was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, we are told, Acts chapter 2, verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You know what? I skipped a verse, didn't I? Sorry about that. The mar- that, that verse that I just read was for a different point, so hold that. Mark 16. Uh, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, to whom? And he spoke to his 11, uh, to the 11 apostles, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they, the apostles, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So one of the, uh, one of the purposes of miracles in the New Testament was to um, kind of give God's stamp of approval on the apostles. These are my guys. They speak for me. Now, what about miraculous healing today? Does it happen? Yes. Yes, it does. With one change, though. Um, No one since the time of the apostles has had the authority to command healing. Healing happens. We ask the Lord, God, would you please heal me, heal my friend? And God often does that, and that's miraculous. But the apostles, only the apostles and those in their lifetime upon whom they laid their hands and sort of delegated this authority, had authority to command a, to command, uh, a healing. So look at our text today. Notice the wording of uh, Peter. Verse 6 of chapter 3. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. Peter knew that Jesus had given him authority to command healings. You look in the New Testament, uh, the way that the apostles healed was very often, you know, there's no ambiguity, no question mark about what God will want to do. It's just rise up, be well, you know, come out of him. And it's, they have the same authority as uh, the risen Lord Jesus because he pass it on. Why? Because God was, God was saying, these, these guys, these guys speak for me. They're going to teach you what it, what it, how it, what it means to live in light of the, the, of the uh, Messiah. But when the apostles died, so died that purpose. So this is very important because there are people out there who who function as if they have authority to command healings. And they think, they want you and me to think that that validates them as God's spokesperson. That it validates their ministry and their message. No, it does not. That's done. The purpose of miraculous healing today is the first two. It's to relieve suffering and it's to testify to Jesus being alive and powerful. So does God heal? Absolutely. How does it happen? We pray. God I'm sick, my friend's sick, please heal them. And very often God does. And when he does that, it doesn't validate us. It validates Jesus Christ is alive and powerful. So three mistakes 
we want to avoid with regard to uh, healing. The first mistake is to fail to ask for prayer. If you're sick, pray. In fact, we are, uh, we're told about, um, you know what, now pause, two, two more verses. Uh, let me give these two verses that um, suggest healing was apostle only. Acts 2.43, awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And then in 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. All right, now, mistakes to avoid. Number one, uh, the failure to pray when you're, when you're sick. Uh, in 2 Chronicles 16, we're told, uh, we're ta- we're told about um, King Asa of, of uh, Judah. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. Nothing wrong with seeking help from physicians. The problem was, uh, he only looked horizontally for help. He failed to look to God for help. And what? He dies. And, and the implication is, you know what, had he gone to the Lord and asked for help, he might have had, you know, far uh, many more years of a reign. And so uh, we, are t- we are told very explicitly in James chapter 5 that when we are sick, we should ask for pr- We should pray and we should ask uh, for others to pray for us. James chapter 5 verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about this verse uh, in a moment. But right now, just to say, if you're sick, uh, don't make the mistake of not asking God to heal you. Second mistake to avoid is to uh, claim that with enough faith, you'll always get healed. And we've heard this, right? There are people out there that say, uh, faith triggers God. Uh, Frankly, that treats God like an idol rather than a father. But you're basically saying, you know what? If you will have uh, enough faith, at some point your faith is so great that God is like almost forced to act. They wouldn't say that. He would say he's uh, motivated to act, right? Um, But you know what? That's not biblical. And frankly, it puts a whole lot of guilt on people because I, I don't know how to have any more faith. And, but it's like, well, you're not being healed. Somehow, you've got unconfessed sin in your life or somehow your faith is not great enough and you just got to work a little harder, muster it up. And that throws all kinds of people into some unhealthy spiritual tailspins. And it's not biblical. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7 says, it is appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. So at some point, the sickness gets you. There's nobody on planet Earth who has had enough faith, I guess, to constantly, you know, keep those sicknesses at bay. Plus, when you read the New Testament, you know, the Apostle Paul in his letters talks about uh, a number of people who uh, were g- colleagues of his that he ne- that never got healed. You have uh, Timothy, and he tells Timothy, you know, 
drink some wine because of your many uh, stomach illnesses? Why didn't he just heal him? Uh, or why didn't if he had enough faith? You've got uh, Timotheus, who he left. Paul says, I left Timotheus ill in this city while he took off. And then uh, uh, Epaphroditus, I think it was, Epaphroditus uh, almost dies. And then Paul himself says, I've got a, you know, three times, I have a thorn in the flesh. We don't really know what it is, but it might very well have been a physical ailment. Three times I asked the Lord to take this thorn in the flesh away. And what does the Lord say? No. My grace is sufficient. Uh, my, uh, my strength is perfected in your weakness. And so um, the fact of the matter is, sometimes God our Father determines that it's best for us. Why? Maybe he's trying to strengthen our faith and he wants us to live in some brokenness so that we learn to rely upon him. Maybe he wants to glorify us, uh, himself, I'm sorry, glorify himself through our, our weakness. And sometimes he says, absolutely, I'll heal. Third mistake to avoid with regard to uh, healing is um, to downplay God's interest. It goes like this. You know, yeah, it's hypothetically possible that God might heal. I personally don't know anybody who's ever been healed. I think he probably does it very rarely. And so, you know, it leaves people kind of thinking, well, uh, it's so re such a remote possibility that God might heal me. Why bother? But somebody once said, you want to know God's attitude toward healing, look at what Jesus did while he walked the earth. And if you look at what Jesus did, he healed a lot of people, a lot of people. And he had compassion on people. And of course, our, our Father, our Heavenly Father has compassion on us. And so, uh, let me just remind you of Matthew chapter 20, verse 33. What you've got here is a couple blind guys who, uh, they are here, a crowd. And so they're asking, hey, what's happening? Jesus of Nazareth is uh, coming past us. Well, they begin to cry out, um, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. And so, you know what? Our, our, our pain and our brokenness our sicknesses matter to God. He has compassion upon us. And he will heal us unless he has some other purpose. That's the bottom line. If we go to our Father and say, please, heal me of this sickness, unless he has another good purpose for it, he'll heal us. And so let's not so downplay his interest that nobody is motivated to go, to go pray. Every Christian will be healed from every sickness. That is a uh, testimony of Scripture. Uh, the, the Revelation tells us that in the eternal state, there will be no sickness. There will be no tears. There will be no brokenness. You will never get tired. You will never be um, emotionally, you won't be sad. Your sickness, your mental sickness, your emotional sickness, your physical sickness will be gone. And that is the end state for all of us. Perfect healing in Jesus Christ. And you know what? Sometimes God uh, allows that future uh, grace to be experienced in the here and now. And he's sovereign over that. And we ask for it because it's awesome. And sometimes he grants it to us within his good purposes. But present healing is simply 
and always a foretest, a foretaste of future healing. My father-in-law said this so well um, last week. He said, Mike, I am, uh, I am absolutely confident God will heal me. I have zero question in my mind God's going to heal me. And uh, for a moment, I, I, I thought, does he know something? I don't know. That's, wow, that's some faith. Uh, and then I also thought, is that presumptuous? And then he said, but what I don't know is when. I don't know if God's going to heal me in this life or heal me in the le- next life, but he will heal me. That is a profound theological statement. Uh, my Redeemer is going to heal me. I just don't know when. And maybe it'll be now so I can have some more years in this life, but I certainly will have eternity with my family. And that's a wonderful part of being uh, in a Christian family where you know where everybody's going. So let me head back to James. Anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That, that last statement about the, the sins and forgiveness um, helps us understand that the sickness there is not just physical sickness. It certainly includes physical sickness. But there can be sickness of the, of the mind. You know, I cannot, uh, I can't seem to feel forgiven from a past sin, even though I've repented of it. I can't get free from it. I've got anger. I've got, um, uh, I'm depressed and the, the brokenness and the sickness can be you know, beyond just physical, like cancer or something. And he says, you know, pray. And what's, your, what's the faith? The faith is that God has the power to heal me. And then there's the promise. You know, the Lord will raise him up. And I think that is slightly ambiguous because it's true. The Lord will raise us up. Will he raise us up in this life or raise us up in the end? Uh, we don't know. But he absolutely will raise us up. Let me end with a story. A guy named Daniel Doriani wrote a commentary on the book of James. And he shares this story. He says, During the autumn when I first studied James in earnest, a friend suffered a viral infection of the heart. It wasn't a heart attack, but it mimicked many of the symptoms of one. My friend felt listless. He looked gray and lifeless. Well, one day at church I told him that James 5 instructs elders to lay hands on the sick and pray for their healing. And I suggested they call the elders of his church to pray. Two weeks later, he came to me and said, yeah, I want to do this. Now, no one in our church had done this before. And so we did something very Presbyterian. We studied the matter another six weeks and hoped he didn't die in the meantime. (laughs) That's hilarious. At last, we appointed a night for prayer and the elders gathered. Now, the church's pastor... Uh, before we prayed, told us, don't expect a dramatic physical healing because God heals in many ways. Now, I appreciated his motive, but uh, there was no need to restrain my enthusiasm. My doubting heart was already skeptical enough. To make matters worse, my one prior experience with prayers for healing came when I was an unbelieving teenager. I had a chronic illness, and my parents asked me to let them and certain uh, friends pray for me. I wanted no part of it, but I was afraid to say no. The prayers had no effect at all. Well, my friend knelt down in the middle of a circle of elders. We anointed him with oil, laid hands on him, began to pray. Since I'd started the process, I was appointed to offer the closing prayer. 
Now, as soon as we began to pray, I had an overwhelming sense that God was, at that moment, healing my friend. My arms felt what I can only describe as bolts of fire pulsing through them. As I grasped my friend's shoulder, heat and energy burned in my hand. I knew God was healing him. I wanted to shout, let's stop praying that God will heal John. Start praising him that he has healed him. But I was too astonished, too unsure of my sensations to say a word to anyone. Four days later, after church, my friend beckoned me with a wild grin. Dan, watch this. At once, he dashed up a flight of steps. At the top, he smiled. Hey, I'm not even breathing hard. I knew it, I exclaimed, and I told him what I had felt a few nights earlier. He told me I knew it, too. Well, since that day, I have joined with elders to lay hands on the sick and pray for them. I've never again felt the fire, and while I occasionally feel a flood of warmth and emotion, I've learned that my feelings and God's healing might not have no connection. A small number have experienced immediate healing from serious illness. More have recovered gradually and under the care of physicians. Many have found spiritual healing, great peace, spiritual renewal in times of crisis and suffering, whether they recovered physically or not. And some have apparently gained no physical or spiritual benefit at all. You know, I thought that is a testimony to a modern-day uh, modern miraculous healing, and I think it's balanced. It's balanced. What's he saying? He's saying, we go to God our Father, and, and we, we ask for him to heal the sick. And the Lord, in his sovereign wisdom and love for us, sometimes makes a, a, an instantaneous, uh, miraculous healing. Sometimes he heals through the physicians, and more gradually... Uh, sometimes the healing that he gives in this life is the healing of his peace and, the, uh, his, and his presence. And then they're raised up again in, 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 uh, in, in eternity. And sometimes, maybe it's because people have no faith. Uh, maybe like when he was a teenager and they prayed over him, but he was not even with it. And nothing happened. We proclaim... Jesus Christ, alive from the dead. And we, his people, have access to his power and his love. Let's take advantage of it. And I hope today that uh, we are just uh, re-inspired to come to God with our brokenness, whatever that is, and ask for healing, and to be uh, bold and courageous. And when we see other people hurting, uh, if they're followers of Christ, man, say, hey, listen, you've got a father who loves you. You've got a father who, who, will, uh, who wants to heal you. Whether or not, he's going to heal you at some, at some point. Let's take advantage of that. So I'm going to pray, and uh, right now I'm going to ask the uh, band to come forward. We're going to pray, and then we're going to go into a time of communion led by Katie Allen. During communion, if you would like a prayer, uh, if, if you would like prayer for healing of any kind, there will be a number of us up here in front of the Clearwater Church sign. We would love to pray for you. Please give us that privilege. Um, don't miss out on asking the Father who loves you for his healing touch. Let me pray. Lord, we love your word. Why? Because your word reveals you. So it's you, Lord, that we love. You are good. You are powerful. It's just, it's just a, a staggering, hard-to-comprehend truth that the, 
that the supreme one of the universe loves us, involves himself in our life, cares for us, and says, hey, come, bring to me your brokenness, bring to me your anxiety, bring to me any, all your needs, and I'll take care of you. So we respond to that great truth. Thank you, Jesus, for making this possible through your death upon the cross, your resurrection from the dead. In your name we pray, amen.